there's a word in the New Testament. In Greek, it's pronounced alelon. And in English, Greek's just one word, but in English, it's two words, and it means one another. And it is a really powerful little phrase that we find actually repeated a whole bunch of times in the New Testament. And it refers a lot of the time to uh, encouraging followers of Jesus that this is how you're, tr- you're supposed to treat one another. Today, I want to read to you just a whole bunch of uh, encouragements that we get as followers of Jesus to one another, one another. How are we supposed to one another each other? How are we supposed to live in community and in relationship? So as people who are followers of Jesus, who is the Messiah, willingly sacrificing himself in love for the world that he loves, and the Messiah who in power was raised from the dead, how do we follow him in terms of the community that we have? How are we supposed to treat each other? And as I read these uh, different examples from the New Testament, I would love for you to imagine, and not just these words in a superficial way, but imagine as I read these words, what it would look like to have a reciprocal experience of these things. What I mean by that is, what if these were the kinds of things that you did for other people in terms of our community? And what if these were the kind of things that other people did for you as part of this community? And so in both ways, what if this was your experience of being part of a real church experience? And again, I encourage you not to just think of these words uh, superficially or in passing, but to think in a really deep sense, if we really worked these things out, really invested energy and time and resources and our abilities and skills into these kind of actions, what would our experience be? What would your experience be? And what would the experience be of someone who's maybe new, someone who's uh, investigating a life of faith, uh, checking out Christianity? Maybe they're new to uh, Christianity and what that looks like. And imagine these were the kind of things that we experienced in really deep ways. I'm going to read a bunch of them to you. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Confess your faults to one another. Submit to one another. Look to the interests of one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Pray for one another. We've been asking, and we started this series last week, about uh, why is it that we need to exist? Why is it that Westside Church needs to exist? Why, coming out of the pandemic, uh, do we need to be here? What, What is it that God is calling us to? And the thing that's been on my heart, and I believe that it's catching uh, your heart as well, because the more we talk about uh, what we've missed in the last uh, year, year and a half, I'm hearing over and over this same idea that we're missing the, the relationships, we're missing the community, we're missing the ways that we can get together that we've been restricted from in so many ways over the last little while. And then I le- read this list 
of ways that New Testament writers are telling us this is a response to what Jesus has done for us. This is how we treat one another. And I read this and say, could you imagine that we really loved each other? Could you imagine that we were devoted to each other? I mean, not just, oh yeah, there are some people that I know and I shake hands with them because I go to the same church as them, but people that were devoted to one another. Could you imagine in a, a society and a culture like ours that we took it really seriously, that we accept one another? And you go, yeah, but there's some things in my life that make me a little bit unacceptable or sometimes we look at other people and say, wow, that's kind of unacceptable. Can you imagine that we got down deep under that and we were a place where people came and, and said, this is like family and I know that even if I'm struggling, even if I've made mistakes, even if I'm not in the right place, I know that I'm accepted here. We accept one another. Could you imagine a place where forgiveness was our response when we hurt each other? Because we know that in relationships that happens. But could you imagine that our devotion to each other and our love for one another pushed each other to say, I'm going to do the hard work of forgiving you and asking you for forgiveness when we're hurting each other? Could you imagine that we were putting each other first and serving each other? Could you imagine that when we're down, we're encouraging each other? Could you imagine that when you feel like, man, there's this burden that I'm carrying around, whatever your burden is, maybe it's a burden of guilt or shame, maybe it's a burden of uh, the things you're going through in your life, maybe it's a, a burden financially, maybe it's a, a burden um, of something you're going through tough in your family or a relationship, and you're just hurting and you feel like it's so heavy, you knew that you could come into a community and there would be people here who would help carry that burden. And there would be times where you look around and, and maybe you ha you've got some strength in your life and you're in a decent place and you see somebody else and they're just, they're just falling under the weight of something that's going on in their life and you say, man, I, I can help just maybe lift just one little part of that for you and carry it for you. Just imagine what it would look like and not just for us who are already part of the West Side community, but imagine what it would be like for people who live around us in Hamilton and in Ancaster and in Dundas to say, man, if I step into this, I'm looking at these people and I'm seeing something strange. I'm seeing something I don't see in a lot of places in this world. I'm seeing people who really have figured out or are figuring out along the way, it's probably the reality, how to love each other and be there for each other, how to create family. And that's what we talked about last week because that's the calling of Jesus. Jesus creates a new family not just fans of a certain religious system, but family, people who come together in deep relationships, who stick it out together and, and uh, do the hard work of, of uh, caring for one another. And so uh, really what's been on our hearts is to say that as we work towards regathering and we work towards a time where we will once again have Sunday morning services in our building and we're really looking forward to that, we just want to make sure that we're not just coming back together to attend services, we're coming back together to build community, to live out these one another's, to find a way where we can actually um, make that happen, to create uh, a community where people find family, where people are accepted, where people are forgiven, where people can grow, where people can find God through Jesus. And the way that we can do that is by living out the way that Jesus has shown us to love one another. I actually believe that at this point in history, because of the circumstances, partially because of the pandemic, that we stand at a crossroads. We stand at a place where we have a chance to decide who we are going to be. And a better way to think of that is maybe to discern who we think God is calling us to be. 
and to say, let's try and work towards in really practical ways, living out what God has called us to be. And I think a great place to start is this list of one another. We say we want to create a community that looks like that. Now, in order to do that, it's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot of resources, of planning, of strategy to make this into a reality. We want to make sure that we have a model for discipleship that can be created and implemented so that we're starting to grow in these areas and that our community comes a place where people don't just say, wow, they have a, a good service or, or entertaining service or even engaging service. That's all great. But where these people are part of a deep community. And then when we start to invite people in and continue to invite people in, that's what we're, that's what we're inviting them into. And so today I want to I share with you what I think is really exciting and ways that we think we can do that in order to pull that off what we have to do. And I'm hoping that uh, you will pray about how you could get on board with making that vision a reality. And so as we have been working through uh, some of this with our board and leadership, uh, the way that we think that we need to step out in faith to try to make this happen uh, over the coming months and years is to hire a new staff member, to hire uh, a pastoral staff member, somebody who can uh, devote their time and energy and resources into making sure that this kind of things happen. And I'm so excited about that because, I, again, I think this is a pivotal time in not just the history of our, our world, which it is, but also a pivotal time in our church's life. And for us to say, if that's what God is calling us to, if this is the kind of community God is calling us to, it's time for us to step out in faith and to follow the call he's put on our life. And so today, uh, I want to invite you to join us in being part of making that vision a reality. There is a story about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is a big shot prophet, really big deal uh, for the people of Israel. He has been through a lot uh, in his story. Uh, prophets are often not people that are well-liked. They speak truth to power. And so Elijah finds himself in that position where he's running for his life. Queen Jezebel uh, wants him dead because of all the ways that he's disrupted uh, her and the people. And he's running away and he finds himself at Mount Sinai. And uh, he, he's, he's kind of looking or waiting for God to speak to him. And it says that he goes out there. There's this big earthquake, but God, or sorry, there's a windstorm but God is not in the windstorm. And then there's an earthquake, but God is not in the earthquake. Then there's fire, but God is not in fire. And then it says uh, that God speaks to him in a small voice or a thin silence. And when he does that, the guidance that he gives Elijah, who's lost and he's scared and he's struggling and he's running, is to go anoint two kings. Uh, that's going to be a powerful part of the people moving forward, and then to go and anoint his successor, Elisha, to become the prophet that will follow him. And we pick up this story because I think it's powerful here in 1 Kings 19, verse 19, when Elijah goes to Elisha in order to, to kind of um, plant that seed and to call him to being a life of prophet. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. This little passage is where we get the term, you might have heard, to take up the mantle. Have you ever heard that? Oh, so-and-so is going to take up the mantle of somebody else. So sometimes we might say this, they're a family business. Uh, say if a daughter was going to take over her, her parents' business and they would say, oh, she's taking up her parents' mantle. 
What it means is to inherit someone's dreams, goals, and responsibilities. So I'm running the business, but now you're taking up the mantle. You're going to run the business from now on. So what Elijah was doing was giving him an opportunity, a choice, to step into a completely new kind of life, to step into a prophetic life, to take on the mantle of prophet. Mantle here is a robe or a cloak. It's something he would have worn. He took it off and throws it on him, saying, I am transferring, if you'll accept it, the responsibilities of this prophetic office onto you. Verse 20 says, Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will follow you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. Think about this for a second. And there's a little bit of hesitation here. Yeah, I want to come, but I also, I got to go say goodbye to my family. And there's going to be this thought process of, are you going to really want to go for it? Are you really going to jump into a new kind of life? Elisha is thinking about his family, his farm, his responsibilities, the life that he has. And imagine what it would be like to stand at that kind of crossroads. Thinking about what it would be like to continue to farm, right? This is his life. This is his lifestyle. This is the family business. This is the kind of situation where, uh, you know, families for generations and generations and generations are often expected to continue to take up the mantle of their parents. You're a farmer. I'm a farmer. My kids will be farmers. This is our farm. Oftentimes, multi-generations living on the same farm and working the same property. Being a farmer would have been a, probably a pretty good job, especially if you had your own land, relatively safe, possibly fulfilling. But Elijah says to him, but I want to think, I want you to think about what I have done to you by offering you to take up my mantle. I've offered you an opportunity to become a prophet, to step into a new life, a life of calling. Now that's important, a life of calling. A couple of things, a life of calling is not and it's not just for Elijah or Elisha, but I think whenever God puts a call on our life, when God calls us to something, we just need to notice that this is a different kind of life. And, and this, for Elisha, is probably going to cause him to stop and go, okay, do I really want in on this or not? A life of calling is not easy or comfortable. We rarely see that God says, I'm calling you to basically sit and watch TV and somebody will serve you dinner and, and everything's going to be nice and easy and luxurious and you're not going to have to exert yourself much. A life of calling is not number two about worldly success that we see with the prophets a lot of the times, I already mentioned, that they're not well liked, they're not very popular. Sometimes they get arrested, sometimes they get beaten, sometimes they get killed. Sometimes it looks like nobody's following them for a really, really long time, years or decades. It seems like they're being ignored. From a worldly or even superficial perspective, a lot of people would say, these are not people who are successful. They're not stepping out and everybody goes, wow, you're a great public speaker and you've told us truth and you, you're speaking for God and so we want to follow you. And then they grow this huge, big uh, enterprise where they are well loved and, and propped up and paid well. Instead, it's, it's very sacrificial. Third, uh, a life of calling is not driven by selfish ambition. It goes with the second one, but if you're out to promote yourself, it's, you're really going to struggle with that because it's not going to work out all that well. It's not the kind of thing where there's a promise of a ton of money and a ton of fame and, and a ton of enjoyment all the time. But a life of calling is missional, which means there's deep purpose and meaning to it, which means you, you drive your joy not come, kind of from... Um, 
the fact that it's easy or comfortable, but by the fact that what you're doing really makes a difference. There's meaning and purpose in it, which means number two, a life of calling is sacrificial. It's, it's not this uh, kind of superficial, oh, you're just successful. It's I'm bringing myself to this. This is going to cost me something. This is going to be hard work. I'm going to have to put a lot into this. And then number three, it is value-driven. So instead of being driven by selfish ambition, it's driven by what we think is most important and meaningful. A life of calling is the response to your God-given purpose. When you believe that God has said, this is who I've created you to be, and I've got something deeply meaningful and purposeful for you to do, the response is to say, I'll take that call. I'll make the sacrifice. I'll do the hard work. I'll be driven by what really matters. And there to find a deeper fulfillment. So here's what it says for Elisha in verse 21. I love this. 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. This is such a great moment of decision. Remember, uh, Elisha, okay, what are you going to do? You've been thrown the mantle. You've got the chance to take it up. You can be a prophet called by God. So then he goes back. Remember, he's a farmer. It's his livelihood. It's his life. It's his family. It's who he is. And he doesn't say, uh, you know, I'm going to try this for a while. Hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go try this for a while. See if it pans out. See if I like it. See if I enjoy it. See if it's fulfilling for me. And if it doesn't work out, I'll come back. Hey, he doesn't say, hey, you know what? Um, Can you take some of my equipment? Can you take my plow? Can you put it in storage? And uh, I'm going to go check this out. And we'll see. And maybe I'll come back in a little while and, and keep farming. He doesn't do any of that. Look, he slaughters the animal and he burns the plow. Don't you love that? (laughs) He's saying, I'm not a farmer anymore. I'm not coming back to farm anymore. I'm not going to need this equipment. This is no longer who I am. This isn't the the thing that's going to drive my life anymore. And it means I'm going all in. He burns the plow. This is what I need to be a farmer. And there's nothing wrong with being a farmer. Like I said, it's probably a pretty good gig uh, in this culture, in this time and place, and where he was with his family. It sounds like it was probably a pretty good situation. But when Elijah said to him, think about what I have done to you by offering you my mantle, my dreams, the dreams that God has put on my heart passing to you, my responsibilities, my calling, now being offered to you. Go back and think about it. And when he goes back, I got to kiss my mom and my dad. I got to say goodbye. And there's probably this moment where he has to decide, am I a farmer anymore? And he doesn't go, ah, maybe later. He burns the plow. I'm all in. I'm all in. So now we stand at our crossroads as a church, as a community. And I will say none of us are Elijah or Elisha. None of us maybe have literally been out at the mountain and heard what Elijah heard in that still small voice, the way that he did, although I think a lot of us have heard that still small voice in different ways. But as we come to this moment and where we feel like God has put a call on us as a church collectively to say that our goal is not to attend services, but to build community, if that's true, we all have the chance to accept that mantle, to be part of that. And ask ourselves, to what level do I want to be part of creating this community? A community that I believe is desperately needed. 
And we talked about this a little bit last week, but I think there's, uh, there's a, a pandemic within the pandemic in our world, a pandemic of loneliness, a pandemic where uh, people habitually are not well connected, do not have deep relationships, the kind of relationships that are necessary for us to grow spiritually, because I believe that you can't grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally. And I think there are people who are longing for those deep relationships. They're longing for a community that treats one another the way that we started this, this message reading about the New Testament, telling us this is how you can one another. I think we stand at that crossroads to say, do we want to be people who are just about kind of coming together for one hour a week? Or do we want to be people who are building community? And if we want to take on that mantle, I think we have to burn the plow. I think we have to get serious about it and say we're not just going to go back to exactly how things were before. Some things will. Some things will look and sound very much the same. We're still going to meet on Sunday mornings. We're still going to be here to worship. That's an important part of who we are. But here's some of the mindsets or attitudes that I think we're going to have to be intentional about deciding. I'm going to burn that plow. I'm not, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be just an attender. My mindset will not be that I attend church, but that I am church. I'm not first a consumer. It's not just about whether I, I, I like or enjoy something. I hope you do when it comes to our services. But I am ultimately not first a consumer when it comes to church. Well, I expect that these are all the things that I get. And if I don't get what I want, I'm going to be mad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away, whatever. I'm not a fan. Talked about this last week. I'm not someone who's just going to sit on the sidelines and, and, and watch other people be the church Watch other people do things to create community. I'm not disconnected or disinterested. I'm not going to stay far off. I'm not a critic. I'm not going to come in and just focus on all the things that everybody else is doing wrong and become judgmental and, and sort of isolate myself in that way. I'm not a church shopper. Just goes around and, and says, man, I'll just find exactly what I think I want to put in my card and get what I want. And then if I don't like that store anymore, I'll go somewhere else. What if we said, I'm going to burn the plow on that because our calling is to build community. And what kind of community? The kind of community that is deeply invested in one another. Because I think we're all longing for that. We want people to be invested in us and in our marriages and in our parenting and in our kids' lives and in our families' lives to really have a deep experience of one another. And if we're going to do that, I think we need to burn the plow. You say, I'm just, there's certain things I'm not going back to, certain mindsets and attitudes that we're not going to go back to. Now listen, some of you have never experienced what I'm talking about in church before. Or maybe it's been a long time since you really experienced that kind of one anothering where you felt like you were so accepted and so forgiven and, and so loved and cared for and other people carried your burdens. You've maybe, you maybe listen to this and, and watch this and say, oh man, yeah, I wish that was true, but that hasn't been my experience. If that's you, then that's why we're doing this. Because we want you to experience that. We want you to know, not just from what we say, but how we live and how we act and the community that we build and really intentionally how we do that. We want you to experience that. Now, some of you have experienced that. You've experienced that kind of church community, and maybe even as part of Westside, some of your best friends who have become family to you are, are people that you found in this community. And if that's you, don't you want everybody to experience that? 
Don't you want everybody who's part of our church to experience that? Don't you want your friends and your neighbors and your extended family to experience that? Don't you want the people who live in Ancaster and Dundas and here in Hamilton to experience that, to be offered that? I think you do. And I think that's part of the call that God is putting on our church. So today, again, what I want to let you know is that our plan is to hire a new pastoral position, someone who can build and implement a relational discipleship model that brings people closer to Jesus and closer together in this kind of deep community. Someone who can provide pastoral care for people who are in crisis, people who are in transitions in their lives, whether maybe that's bringing uh, children into the world, uh, maybe it's losing a loved one, maybe it's working through mental health issues that they're struggling with uh, or other uh, tough transitions transition, struggling in their marriage or through a divorce, someone who can devote their time and gifts to invest in helping us create a culture of one anothering, the way that we read about it in the New Testament. And for us to be able to make that dream a reality, it's going to require us collectively, all of us to get on board and to step out in faith. We want to create and hire for this full-time positions, but in order to do that, as you can well imagine, in a responsible way and in a sustainable way, uh, there's going to be a financial impact, and we need to make sure before we get to that point uh, that we have uh, the confidence that we can do this and carry a salary in, in a way that will allow us to do it perpetually. And so as we feel this is God's call in our life and we're excited to, to step out, today I want to challenge you to start praying about how God might be placing it on your heart uh, to support us in a couple of ways. One is to be praying. And some of us uh, in leadership, as we've, we've started with this, we've been praying and we feel like God is really confirming in us that this is what he's calling us to do. And we've started to pray in a couple of ways. One is we want to pray for that person, that God would be preparing someone and putting it on their heart and, and doing the things that need to happen in their life to bring them to us and to prepare them to do this kind of work, to help us with this kind of work. And then praying for us that we would have the wisdom to be able to discern that, who that person is and to work through a practical process of, of bringing them here. And so I want to encourage you to start committing to pray every day for those things and for uh, the calling of building community at Westside and what that will look like. And then I would love for you to pray and ask how God might be calling you to join us and participate financially in making this happen. I want to ask you to consider giving in, in two ways. One of them is to, to, we need to hit milestones in order to give us the confidence, like I said, to make sure that this is sustainable. So uh, one way is we need to increase the, the, the money that we have in the bank uh, by about $37,000. This is money we're trying to raise in one-time donations between now and September 1st. And uh, perhaps God is putting a number on your mind where you could step up and, and, and give generously to make sure that this is something that we could do uh, sooner than later uh, to get us off the ground to make sure that we have a cushion in the bank and that we have some money to use uh, right away in order to make this happen. And then, uh, as you can imagine, in order to bring on a salary, um, we can't do that every year. We want 
to make sure that uh, month to month uh, we have money coming in uh, that makes sure that we can pay for a salary. And so as we start to raise that upfront money, we also need to start to raise our monthly revenue and, and giving. And most of you know that uh, we completely run on the donations of people like you who generously give on a regular basis to make sure that we can do the things uh, that God is calling us to. And so uh, to start, we want to raise our monthly giving, an extra $3,000 per month, uh, what we need to bring in. And so uh, what that will require for us, again, there's, there's two different options, uh, and perhaps uh, one of these options uh, God's putting on your heart, or maybe both of them, to say, we want to make sure this can happen in, in the near future, and so we're going to give up front. Uh, we're also going to give uh, regularly above and beyond what we're already giving. What would it look like for us to hit that 3,000 goal? It would look like, for example, 30 families saying, I'm going to give $100 more than I give now every month. For some of you, you might say, that seems like a lot, that's steep, that, that would require an act of faith, and I'd encourage you, if, if God's calling you in that way, to, to make that happen. For others of us, we, we could probably do more than that. We could say, yeah, I've got some resources, and God is blessing me in certain areas, and, and I, can, I can help go above and beyond that to make this happen uh, in a powerful way. And that's going to be sacrificial, and it's going to be a step of faith. I believe that's how we live out uh, God's calling in our life. To say, man, my, my calling's not just to a comfortable consumer type life, but I believe in this kind of community. I believe that God's calling us to this. And so I'm going to step out in faith and sacrifice to live on mission. In a way, I'm going to take up the mantle and say, I'm going to be somebody who wants to make sure that this happens for somebody else. That somebody else would find a community that treats them like a New Testament one another. Uh, I was thinking about this this week, and, and it's a big challenge. And I was reading in my devotions from Malachi. Malachi is uh, the last prophet in the Old Testament, uh, Malachi chapter 3. And there's this verse. It stood out to me because in most places in the Bible, whenever it talks about testing God, uh, you're not supposed to do it. Do not put me to the test, God says. Don't tempt me. Uh, don't fool with me. I'm God. You're not God. Let's get the roles straight. But in Malachi chapter 3, it's the only place in the entire Bible where God says, put me to the test. I'm, I'm giving you permission. You put me to the test. Here's what it says. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Tithe is a Hebrew word. literally means 10%. Part of the Jewish law to say bring 10% of your income to the house of worship for the community. And the context in Malachi is that the community has not been one anothering each other very well. People who are in need are not getting what they need. They're being overlooked. And they're saying there's not enough for us to care for the needs of people. Our community has not been built up. And so God is now saying to them, bring to me the whole tithe. Here's part of the problem is, is the generosity is not there. And so some people have and some people have not. And the community is not coming together. The community is suffering. So he says, bring the whole tithe. Bring your whole 10% of your income. Some of us go, wow, that's crazy. But is it to try and build a community like this? To try and live that counterculturally? To provide that kind of care and love for all of us and all those who want to be part of it? And then God says this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. It's a one time in all of scripture. You test me and this is what the test will look like. 
and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room for enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop uh, their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. Listen, this verse is used and abused. You can find people on TV and ministries. They'll say, hey, uh, send me some money. And, you know, expect that a check will come. You're going to become a millionaire. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have all these finances. And that really turns people off, rightfully so. That's not what this verse is about. This verse actually not written to us, written to the ancient people of Israel. But here's what I believe God is saying uh, through the principle of this passage and what I think he's saying to us. You put me to the test. Your part is generosity. I've given you everything that you have. You come and, and bring it to the house of worship. You bring it for this community. You bring it to build something that the world desperately needs and people who are in need are desperate for. You come and, and, and you provide the generosity and that will put me to the test and my part will be blessing. And when you do your part, I'll do my part and I will pour out such a blessing such that you won't be able to, to store it. It's gonna be so big. I don't believe that means if you give money, you're gonna get a check in the mail. I don't believe we're all gonna be millionaires, but I believe this. If we do our part for, for being generous to build a community, then God is gonna pour out a blessing in our city and in the people around us by transforming people's lives and people are gonna look and say, these people are blessed. I don't know what it is about these people, but look how they love each other. Look how they care for each other. Look how they forgive each other. Look how they accept each other. Look at what it looks like to be part. I don't even know about God. I don't know about Jesus. But when I see this community of people, that's not a people who come together for an hour of entertainment a week. That is a community. And I think God is putting it on our hearts to say, you test me. Your part is generosity. My part is blessing. And I believe if we stand at the crossroads here, it's our job to step out in faith and to say, I want to make that happen. I want to be part of making that kind of community happen. So one way you can respond uh, is I'd love for you, like I said, to pray for how you might be part of this. And we have an online pledge form. You can find the link in uh, the video description below here on YouTube or in the chat if you're watching as we premiere this. And you can click through that. It's also be through our website. Um, and you can click through that. And I ask you to pray about this first. Your giving is ultimately between you and God and what he's putting on your heart. But as you pray for that and, and God sparks generosity in your life, We'll ask you uh, to go ahead and fill out that pledge form. And, and perhaps there's a one-time amount where you want to say, I want to get this off the ground. It's going to take uh, some of us really stepping up to make sure that happens. And maybe it's, it's saying, I can increase my, my monthly or, or bi-monthly, however you give, um, to, to a, a higher amount to say, I want to I make up that 3000 a month that we need to give us the confidence to do that. Maybe it's both. Maybe uh, you're in a position where you can do both of those things and, and help to make this happen. Because I think, I believe that if we're going to see this happen for us, it's going to be a step of faith and sacrifice. We need to burn the plow. Say, I'm all in for that. Because we are called to be committed to community. And so today, I want to invite you to join us as we burn the plow. Heavenly Father, I believe this is a vision that's given to us collectively by you. I believe that you will do your part to bless the plans that you give to us. Not always in the way that we think you will, but I believe that you want to transform people's lives, that you want to deepen our community and our experience of 
relationships. And I believe that there are people all around us that are longing to experience that. So God, we pray that you would continue to confirm these plans. Would you spark in us a generosity to step out in faith and to fund this project? Would you be working on the heart of the person that we hope one day to hire? We don't know who that is, but I think you know who it is. We pray that you'd be preparing them for being part of our community and leading in this way. That you would prepare us as a community to be willing to let go some of the mindsets and attitudes that might hold us back. And God, that the one another's we read about in Scripture would become more and more, little bit by little bit, the characteristics of this community at Westside Church. And so now we trust this to you because we believe it's your dream, it's your vision. And we ask you to work powerfully through us in Jesus' name. Amen.